Okay, last week we started talking about mentoring a little bit, and I'm going to talk a little more about mentoring, and then uh, I think Bob or Alan is going to come up. Uh, I was looking up some, uh, oh, you all have the pack. Did you give out your uh, thing yet to anybody, your mentoring package? Did you give it out already? Okay. Anybody else? Told to hold on to it. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you who to give it to tonight. Uh, so, hope you gave it to the right person. I was looking up some uh, definitions of mentoring. Just what is mentoring? Mentoring, listen to this. This is one, one person said this. Is a dynamic relationship of trust in which one person enables another to maximize the grace of God in his or her life and service. It has a sound biblical and theological basis with Jesus as the ultimate model, retaining all that is consistent with his life and teaching. In other words, Jesus is the maximum mentor. He is the ultimate model. And uh, it's a dynamic relationship with two people uh, discovering the grace of God. Here's another, here's another uh, description of a role of a mentor. A good mentor is a person who you naturally enjoy being with, who has more experience than you have, who would be happy to help you win in life, to help you grow in sensitive areas most other friends simply put up with on a day-to-day basis. If you have found this person, you have found a mentor. So here are some uh, descriptions for uh, a mentor, and we're going to talk about that. You need, uh, what is a mentor? Is somebody who will pray for you regularly from the time you give them that packet, and maybe for months on, maybe for life, who knows. Pray with you and pray for you. It's very important. That person needs to be an encourager. Jesus was an encourager. He always encouraged his disciples, didn't he? Sometimes he got on them. Sometimes he reprimanded them. <laughs> but he encouraged them. He was always helping them, send them out, tell them what to do, how to, how to do it, come back. He did it. Another person in the Bible that we have uh, is, a, is really a model is Barnabas. What was, his, what was he called? Son of encouragement. And... Uh, he was so passionate about being a good mentor that he took on the greatest theologian of the first century. And they were so adamant that they said they couldn't agree and they split up. Who was that? It was Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. Why did they split up? Because this man of encouragement, this son of encouragement called Barnabas, in Acts 11.23... Well, in Acts, actually, uh, in Acts fifteen thirty nine, is where the argument took place. But uh, it was over John Mark. Now, John Mark was a young guy, like you. And John Mark went on a trip with him, their first missionary journey. And when he got uh, across the Mediterranean and landed at the, at the first uh, town in southern Turkey, he bailed on him. I'm out of this trip. This, uh, this is a little longer than a short-term trip for me. So he bailed. He went back home. And uh, Paul absolutely, here's this great theologian. He simply got ticked off. He was mad. You know, he's that kind of guy. You just stick with it. You go with it. You know, and I have uh, taken trips through Turkey. And uh, it's amazing what the Apostle Paul put up with in Turkey. He went through, when he says, I went through rivers and seas and mountains, he did. I mean, it was, it was a horrendous trip up and over and to preach the gospel in those cities. But John Mark bailed on him. But, you know, the great thing is about encouragement is in uh, 2 Timothy, 
in 2 Timothy, there's a great word of, uh, that just that brings that story all together. 2 Timothy 4.11. If I can find the right page. There we go. 4.11. Listen to this. Paul is writing uh, to Timothy and he says, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So somewhere between that horrible discussion that split two great saints up, Paul and Barnabas, and they went their separate ways, down the road, Paul realized that, wow, Barnabas did a great job of mentoring John Mark because he became this incredible helper in the kingdom of God. And Paul says, I want him by my side. Here's a guy, he said, I want to have nothing to do with you. I don't want to take him on any missionary trips. Get him out of here. He bailed. And here is, several years later, I need him. I need him. So you're going to have times, uh, and you're going to work with people that you may have a disagreement with and said, man, you know, that, that young person, uh, keep him off the team. Down the road, somebody mentors them, and they're going to be of great value to the kingdom of God. Never discount anybody in God's kingdom. So Paul was a mentor, uh, although he had a hard time with John Mark, but he got gra- grabbed guys like Timothy. He grabbed guys like Titus. And he mentored these young men, and they become young pastors, who he put all his trust in. All his delegation of authority went to these two young guys, plus others, but Timothy and Titus. And he'd say, you go out to the churches, and you appoint elders in those churches. You develop leadership in these young churches. You plant churches. You get them all set and running. Totally trusted these guys. He mentored them. He poured his life into them as they traveled with him. And uh, saw what Paul was doing, and, and they imitated him. So be an encourager. Number one, be an encourager. Number two, a mentor, uh, a mentor is a guide. Be a guide. A mentor needs to be a guide, needs to be an example. We'll talk a little bit of an example in a minute, but then he be a guide. What did Jesus say to his disciples when he first saw them? Huh? Take up my, your cross and follow me. Follow me. Remember he saw the fishing guys fishing by the seashore? Peter, Paul, and John, and Peter, Paul. Is it Peter, Paul, and Mary? No. Uh, that's a musical group. Uh, old, old time. They don't, even know, they don't even know who that is. You know, that's, uh, their parents probably hardly remember. Uh, but anyway, Peter and, and John and all those guys were down fishing, and Jesus walked by the seashore on Luke 5, 27, said, Follow me. Follow me. And then later in Matthew 20, in 16, 24, take up your cross and follow me. And you know what they did? I, I still, is amaze me, uh, that these guys dropped all their nets, left their father to do all the work and his servants, and they followed Jesus on this crazy adventure for three years. They left all their business and went and followed him. Take up your cross and follow me. So we need to be a guide. Then Jesus was a guide to these guys. They were so rough on the edges that if they, you rubbed against them, they'd cut you. That's how rough they were. They were just rough on the edge. Old fishermen. Their language is probably rough. Their attitude was rough. Their, everything was rough. But Jesus said, these are about the 12 guys I want to follow, want to follow me and change the world. And they did. And uh, so be, a good mentor that you're going to pick needs to be an encourager. 
he or she needs to be a guide. The other thing, the third thing is, be a listener. Be a, I'm talking to the guys right here, okay? Choose a mentor who's a, a good listener. The reason why, because guys don't listen. Right, ladies? Right. <laughs> I heard an amen there. <laughs> uh, somehow we don't have the quality of listening as well as the ladies. So, But it says in Proverbs 1.5, it says, Let the wise listen. And a good mentor will listen to you. No matter what you're saying, what's your problem, what's your struggle, what, no, no matter. They'll just listen. They're good listeners. My wife, I'll be, she'll start to say something and I'll say it. She said, will you just listen? I'm not done yet. You're, you're, you know, I, I, I get right in the middle of a sentence and I, you know, I still haven't learned. You know, old age and still haven't learned. But uh, a, a, a mentor is a wise listener. Proverbs 12, 15 says, let the man, and maybe that's right why it says a man there. Uh, let the man listen to advice. <laughs> Proverbs 12, 15. James 1, 19, it says, everyone should be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, one, of our, one of the challenges we have, especially guys, is we're thinking, you know, okay, I hear that person talking, but what am I going to say back? So before you're even really checking into what they're listening, you're trying to think of an answer or what, what are you going to talk about? And so you're not really listening. And a good listener is one who listens all the way through and then is, is not quick to speak, but good, good listener. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word, but be doers also of the word. So, a courager, a guide, a listener. And then the other thing a good mentor does is report back, feedback, insight. Give insight, feedback, report back to the, uh, to the mentee. Uh, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. And you, get, you, you help. You walk with them. You teach them. And that's what a good mentor does. You evaluate the mentor's activities. Now, here's the life of a guy. The guy I was talking about a few minutes ago who got out of that boat, threw his net down, and followed Jesus. His name was Peter. But there's a name before that that often we call him. It's called Impulsive Peter. Because he always did things off the cuff. And Jesus had to get on him. One time Jesus said around, get behind me, Satan. Because he just spoke out of turn. He didn't understand. He wasn't listening. He didn't grasp it. And uh, so a, a good uh, mentor evaluates the mentee's activities. And so Peter's life, growth life, and that's an encouraging to all of us, uh, is his growth level was sporadic. It didn't go, it didn't go, oh, glory, hallelujah. It just went, you know, all over. You know, Jesus said, follow me, Peter, and he did. Didn't even think about it. He said, uh, Peter, feed the 5,000. Peter said, how can we do that? We have no money. We have nothing. Uh, and, oh, we did find a couple of loaves and fish down here. But what are good are they? He doubted. He's been watching Jesus do great things, and he still doubted. He was a doubter of miracles. Jesus said to Peter on the boat, 
uh, he, Jesus came walking on the water and Peter was fishing and said, whoa, that's Jesus. Jesus, can I come to you? And Peter, Jesus said, come on. He jumped out of the boat and Peter was walking on the top of the Sea of Galilee, the water. He was. Until what all of us do when we're, our faith is strong, we look down and we're saying, oh my goodness, the water. And he started to sink. And he said, Jesus, help me. High levels of faith for just a moment in time. That was Peter. That's often us. But we need a mentor who helps us through those times. And Peter, of course, you know, he got to the end and he denied Jesus three times. He blew it. He denied him. All Christians, some point in their life, going to have a, a failure of some kind. Kind of fail, deny, struggle, belief, whatever. But the greatest passion of uh, passion portion of scripture that I love is found in John 21. Peter blown it. He had a terrible three years with Jesus up and down, always blowing off his mouth. But on John 21, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared on the Sea of Galilee where they had been before fishing when he said, follow me. That is a great place. It's an emotional place. I've stood there several times. I led tours to Israel several tours, and I've stood there several times. It's a very emotional moment. There's a statue there of, of Jesus with Peter kneeling before him there on the, on the seashore. But the great thing is that Peter was out fishing, and he said, hey, somebody's on the seashore, and, and, and the man on the seashore said, hey, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. Throw the nets on the other side. Oh, who is this guy? We're professional fishermen. But that's what you got. A mentor is someone you listen to. And so they did. And their nets were instantly full. And Peter realized, wow, this is Jesus. And he jumped out and started swimming to shore. And when he got there, it was, it, here was this little fire. And some fish was already cooking on the pan for breakfast. Nobody ever asked where he got the fish. He's Jesus. He's God. He probably just called them out of the water and they jumped in the pan. But, uh, but the great thing is, at that moment in time, as they're sitting around eating at the, at the, and dialoguing, he was an encourager. He was a listener. He was a guide. He was giving feedback to Peter, who had failed. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Then feed my sheep. And Peter said, you know I love you. But he didn't use the same love word. America, in English, it's, you know, we have one word for love, basically. It's love. Not agape, which is godly love, or phileo, which is friendly love, and all that. And he answered, yeah, I'm your friend, Jesus. You know that. Well, then feed my lambs. Do you, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Yeah, I love you. I, I'm your friend. And Jesus answered third time, uh, Peter, do you love me? And he was brokenhearted, Peter, and said, yes, Lord, I, know, I, I love you. And Jesus, the third time, didn't use the word agape. He used the word phileo, meaning, are you my friend? And he said, yes, I'm your friend, then feed my sheep. But what's the significance of this mentor who was working with his mentee? How many times did Jesus, he deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did he say to Peter, do you love me? Three times. The mentor was saying to the mentee, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. 
I want you to be my leader. And uh, we saw that all come out, all this sporadic living in these first three years with Jesus after the resurrection. And Jesus went to heaven and ascension. And the day of Pentecost came, Peter became the man that Jesus wanted him to be. Stood up and preached that sermon. And he never looked back and he, you know, got the keys to the kingdom. And he opened the church to the world. So, you know, here was a mentee that really got it. And that's what God is looking for us to be, uh, to catch it, to grab it, to grasp it and run with it. The other thing we've said, to be a courager, be a guide, be a listener, feedback, insights, evaluation. But the next one is be a friend. Remember what Jesus said? Uh, I will no longer call you my slaves. I will no longer call you uh, my servants, but I will call you my friend. A mentor is a friend. A mentor is a friend. Somebody who, who understands and walks with you through the tough times and the good times and, and all the times, he's a friend. And Jesus said, I am your friend. And that's what a mentor is. Next is an, be an example. Be an example. And this is, this is tough. This is really tough. Because to have Jesus say, follow me and obey my exam- follow my example would be easy. You understand that? He's perfect. Paul said to his disciples and to those around him, listen, I'm Paul the apostle. Follow my example. Wow. Follow my example. Train by example. Paul was training by example. But can you say, can I say, you know, I, wow, look at my life, look at your life. Can you say, or a mentor you're looking for, can you say, hey, do exactly what I do. Just watch me and it'll be all right. Just watch me. That's tough. They're going to watch you. In fact is, the truth is this. Everybody is watching you. Every one of you in this room. Somebody knows you're a Christian at school, at home wherever, and they watch, and they'll say, wow, these are how Christians act. That's not good. That's not good. Let me tell you a little story of a friend, and I'll I'll be done, because I want Bob to get up here quick, or whoever's getting up, but let me tell you a little story. Uh, There was a friend of mine that I, he became my friend because I invited him to my church when I was a pastor many, many years ago, and uh, his, don't laugh, he was, his name was Harry Krishna. It was. He wasn't a cultist that ran around, but he was from Africa, and his, he was the head of the uh, vegetarian movement for the world. And he came to UCLA and to study, and he watched Christians. I remember him telling me this in, in my living room. He said, and I watched the students in UCLA, not that UCLA could have been Fresno State, it could have been anywhere, but it, he was attending UCLA, and he said, I decided I'll never be a Christian because I watched their example and it wasn't good. I watched what they were doing. So he went back to Africa uh, and uh, got a job, went, was working. And he saw this young man uh, hitchhiking every day. Every day the guy was out hitchhiking. And so Krishna picked him up one day. And said, what are you doing? He says, I'm hitchhiking to work. 
Do you do this every day? Yes, I do. Aren't you late for work? Never late for work. Never been late all my days I've worked. Really? Well, how do you do that? He says, I get up every morning. I said, Lord, you know I need to get to work. And I've got total trust in you that you'll provide a ride. And God never failed him. And Krishna watched him. And because of that, he said, I came to know Jesus Christ. Because if this guy can have his faith like that, that's what I want. And he became a Christian. Not because at the university, but because one guy's example there in Africa that he watched as he, this guy was hitchhiking every day. So choose a mentor. Choose someone who you want to look to for spiritual guidance and direction and encouragement. To someone who will be honest with you. Someone who has integrity. Someone who will pray with you and for you. Someone who is faithful to the church. And someone who is committed to be with you for two to four months at minimum. So can you think of somebody that right now? Can you think of that person? you have that person in your mind? Because you're going to have to hand out these books. These little packets to that person who's going to be your mentor. Okay? So, you are a mentor, and you're looking for a mentor to walk through this journey with you. So, you can come out of this uh, experience at uh, being a short-termer with uh, absolutely incredible, incredible joy and experience and learning. Okay? All right. God bless you. Before we bring up Alan Hyatt, missionary to Japan for 25 years, 24 years. Okay, you corrected me. He's a very, he's a detailist. He's our CFO. Very much a detailist. Um, thank you, Dr. Donahoe. We're, um, what are we going to do next week? We're going to have the names of the people that God has put on our hearts to be our mentors. Amen? If you have a question about that, ask me. If you have a problem with that, ask Andrew. Okay, that's the way it's going to go. I'm going to say that many, many times before we get back from our trip. <laughs> okay, we're also, Alan's going to be t- talking to us about cross-cultural sensitivity, and uh, he knows what he's talking about. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, evangelism, giving your testimony, team um, uh, covenant, and um, uh, one of the things that I, I uh, need to, to say when we're um, talk to you a little bit about when we're when we're talking about um, giving our testimony has a lot to do with the, the cross cultural thing. Um, we need to be aware that when we're giving our testimony, we're in a different culture, and some of the things that we say may not be understood uh, like they would in our own culture. You know, um, for example, I was a missionary in Brazil, and they didn't have divorce in Brazil. Uh, they had people living together who were no longer together, but they didn't have divorce. And so in the church, they really had a hard time uh, when someone says, you know, um, I, my, my first marriage didn't work out. And, and, you know, they shared a little bit about the, the crushing experience it was for them. And, and God gave me another, uh, another wife. Uh, that blew most of the people away, and they couldn't hear anything else that they said. That was a cultural issue as well as, uh, well, mostly it was a cultural issue. And so we need to understand there's a lot of things that we can say um, in our testimony and it can be misunderstood. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, anyway, I would like to have, turn this over to Alan. Okay. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up, please. Yeah.
Okay? Everybody stand up, face forward. Half bow about like this. Come back up. Don't use the hands. Okay, try that again. Stand up. Okay, everybody sit down. I'm going to do this one more time. Go ahead and sit down. Okay, we're going to pretend that the teacher is at the door. Teachers come in the door. Stand up. Half bow. Sit down. Every Japanese child in high school and junior high does that every time the teacher comes in the room. There's a, usually a class monitor or a class president, and he sees the teacher coming through the door down the hallway. By the way, in, in Japan, the teachers change classroom. The students don't. Cool. Yeah, stay on your own desk all the time. Teacher starts coming down the hallway. The monitor sees that, and he stands everybody up. Teacher gets up to his podium, and he bows, and they sit back down. Class starts. Junior high and high school students all wear uniforms. How do you like to have uniforms? Well, it makes it easy picking a uniform. What clothes for the day? This one or this one, right? If you leave your home during a school week, which is Monday through Saturday noon, and you're a student, you will wear your uniform every place you go. We're talking cross-culture. Different things that we will expose ourselves to and be exposed to. A typhoon hurricane had temporarily stranded a monkey on an island. In a secure place, protected while waiting for the raging waters to recede, he spotted a fish swimming against the current. It seemed obvious to the monkey that the fish was struggling in need of assistance. And having a kind heart, the monkey resolved to help the fish. A tree precariously dangled over the very spot where the fish seemed to be struggling. At considerable risk to himself, the monkey moved out from out on a limb, reached down, and snatched the fish from the threatening waters. Immediately, Screaming back to the safety of his shoulder, he carefully laid the fish on the dry ground, and a few minutes the fish showed excitement, excitement, but soon settled into a peaceful rest. Joy and satisfaction swelled inside the monkey. He had successfully helped another creature. Good points about the monkey. Had great intentions had compassion, decided to get to be involved, and was courageous. And by the way, if you've got a pen, you need to be writing on the paper in front of you because that's where these notes go. If you haven't had this experience before, this is a cross-cultural issue. You will be needed to do this, maybe, in a cross-cultural situation. Page one is where this stuff goes. Right? Do you... Do you uh, are you a monkey? Do you feel like you might be a monkey? Huh? Right out there. Wow. This is fantastic, right? Get out there and help that fish. Bad points about the monkey. What are some of the bad points about the monkey? <laughs> assumed, assumed the fish was struggling. 
assumed the fish was like him. And he drew the wrong conclusions. Some places, for example, I, I do a lot of counting, and you never assume you got the right formula until the zeros balance out on both sides. No assumptions. Get the facts. Know what you're talking about. Know what the issues are in that particular person's individual life. This is a very, it's a little detailed for you, maybe. Two different kinds of thinking. Dichotomous, to separate into two parts or classifications. And we'll look at some of the definitions of that in a minute. And the holism, the view that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, emphasizing the importance of the whole and the interdependence of its parts. Some people's judgments are black and white, right and wrong. Uniform, you got a criteria, and it's across the board. If you're five foot, you got to be this kind of a person. Blonde hair, you know, was a period of time when blonde jokes were all going around, right? Everybody that was blonde had to be that crazy or stupid or what? See, that's an assumption. That's a criteria approved across the board, and that's not right. It's not right. Or your security comes from the feeling that one is right and fits into a particular role or category in society. Let me ask you this. How many of you have lived in Fresno for uh, over half of your life? How many of you were actually born here? Well, that's a few. How many of you have, in, on that other part, moved at least 100 miles from this place. Okay. So, in a sense, you have already experienced two cultures. Because this church has created a culture. And people come in, and maybe you notice this. Do you notice that some people sit in the same seats all the time? You know? And if you see a stranger walk in and go over and sit down where that Mr. and Mrs. Joe Blow sits, do you feel, oh, no. Oh, no. What's Mr. and Mrs. Joe Blow going to say when he sees a stranger in their seat? Or they go walk over and say, that's my chair. Kind of bad news, right? Be careful of that. Security comes from that place. For some reason, they want to sit there and they're secure and they got everything taken care of right there. Information and experiences are systematically organized. Details are sorted in order to form a clear pattern. Some people have to have it right down the road, right? Right down the road. A, B plus C equals D and minus E or something. They got it. That's not very good math, but you know. <laughs> then there's the other side of the coin. Judgments are open-ended. The whole person and all the circumstances are taken into consideration. Yeah. Oh, you know, the, the person was late, but, you know, well, some, we look at that, the lateness. What is that in certain cultures? But there's probably a, there could be a really good reason. Yeah. Sure, we got 7 o'clock, classes start, you got to get in here. Okay, well, that's a class, that's a, that's a judgment, right? Right and wrong. Okay, the other side of it is, 
Well, there's a possible reason for that. Maybe their parents are sick. Maybe they got a kid that's sick. You know, so you take the whole thing into, and then make a, a judgment call based upon that. Security comes from multiple interactions within the whole society. What one is insecure if confined to particular roles or categories. I don't want a title in front of my name. Why? Well, that puts me in this little square box. Okay. They don't want to put that square box because that's not just that's not just me, right? You might call your father dad, but is that all he is? No, he's he's somebody's son. He could be somebody's brother. Oh, he could be the president of the company. Yeah. So if you just say, "Oh, he's the president of the company," well, that just puts him in one little block in this whole circle of where he lives. Information and experiences are seemingly disorganized. Details such as narrative, events, and portraits stand as independent points complete in themselves. Information and experiences. They seem to be all over the place, but yet they are there for the whole thing. A missionary family packed up all their furniture and children's things along with a few months of food stuff, moved into a house in a remote village a great distance from normal civilization. After weeks of enjoying the village life and getting to know the people and their language, they noticed a reluctance of the people to fellowship with them, even come by their house. Finally, they were able to get one of the villagers to explain the situation. We watched you from the windows as you went about your life. And as Gordon was telling me, people watch. When you're in a strange environment, people are watching you. Now, I was about this much taller than most of the Japanese. Guess who stuck out? Yeah, My hair was a little bit less white at that particular time. And guess who's stuck out? You know, Everybody could see you. And you could tell after a while, you being there, you could see the little. You know, you're being pointed out. You know, it's kind of interesting. Everything about you was different and interesting, especially as you would open various cans of food, food and eat them. You opened a can with green beans on the front, and at green beans, you had green beans. Wow. You opened a can with tomatoes on it. And it had tomatoes in it. Anybody know the end of the story? Then you opened a can with baby on it. And you gave it to your baby to eat. And that is when we lost all interest in you. Because even we do not feed human meat to our children. Huh? Who thought that? This natives, this country, they they there. Oh, baby food for yeah. Hey, what is you? What do you? When you look at that, what do you see? Well, you can read it to see this apple mango. And did you ever think there was a baby inside of the jar? Did it ever come to your mind that that's what it was? Because why? Pardon me. You're you can read it because it's in English, but what about them? They can't read it. What do they look at? Picture. That's the reason when you walk around and you do certain actions and you perform in certain ways, 
They don't know what's in your head. They don't know why you're thinking that. They can only say, oh, that's what those people do. That's how they act. That's the way, you know. So they see what's happening there. Okay? This is our key verse. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. To the weak become I as weak, that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. You have certain customs and, and ways of doing things in your life right now. You know, for example, we're not picking a point, but we're talking across culture. How do you know in the culture you're going to that you are allowed to even bring food and drink into the classroom? Do you know whether it's right or wrong? You got a culture? It says right here in this culture that it doesn't make any difference. Okay. How about sneezing? Or blowing your nose? Is it proper to do that here in this classroom? Hopefully nobody gets cold. Right? In a Japanese society, you might... <coughs> you could do it like that. But you better not blow your nose in a public place. You get up. And you leave the room and you do it someplace else. And by the way, when you get up and leave the room, you leave by getting behind everybody. You never walk in front of them. Okay? And if you're sitting down in a Japanese home, uh, although many of them have furniture nowadays, there's still the tatami or the straw mat room where you sit down and cross your legs. And after a while, how many of you sit down on the floor and cross your legs? You do. How long can you do that? Four hours? Six hours? 30 seconds? <laughs> okay? One thing, you, you know, after a while you want to kind of stretch out. Never, ever face the bottom of your feet to a person. Boy, you're just walking all over that person's life. See? Now, you do it here, right? You stretch out, lean back against the wall, dirty old feet sticking right out there. And you, good thing we got a glade air can. <laughs> Take care of that real quick. Right? Really Japanese. Yeah, really Japanese. Yeah. Well, we lived there for 24 years. That was our second society, second and life. Here's the point. Yes. Society is a group of people who relate to one another in different settings in orderly way. Now, you may not think so, but it is. Culture is the more or less integration system of ideas, feelings, and values and associative patterns of behavior and products shared by a group of people who organize and regulate what they think, feel, and do. This is the culture definition. We're going to go through this fairly quick. The first area of culture is shared knowledge so that communication becomes possible. Now, this can be in printed form, oral form, dances, drama, stories. The nod of the head. In the Philippines, they raise their eyebrows a little bit. I can't even, they're listening to you. They raise their eyebrows. I can't even do that. Okay. All this is part of how they communicate. You know? Where you put your hands, you put your hand in front of your face like this, or doing like something like that. You know, all of that. The means of communication. Again, with your, uh, the way you use it. And your symbolism. Some of the symbolism that you use. The way you express feelings. 
and so forth. Communication. The second area of culture is the feelings people have, such as love-hate, ugly beauty, taste and food and dress, expressions of joy and sorrow. That's all part of this. And by the way, don't underestimate the value of emotions. It's very important for those people and for you to understand. Area of culture is the values by which it judges human relationships. What is true and false? What is beautiful or ugly? What is right and wrong? This is something that that culture has determined over hundreds of years, thousands of years maybe. And your culture may not be the same. Your definition of that will not be the same. So that's cross-culture. Next are the patterns of behavior which you are generally taught as proper, as I was saying. Shaking hands or bowing? In Japanese, now those people that have had business relationships back and forth of the world, more than likely the Japanese are going to shake hands because they understand your culture. And that's bowing is not something that you do. <laughs> okay? But eating with the right hand and not the left? You know anybody that does that? Who, no, I'm not talking about right-handed and left-handed people. I'm not just talking about it. There are cultures that you never pick up food with your left hand. Why? Have you any idea? Pardon me? Go ahead. Huh? That's the hand you use in the bathroom. That's correct. Very correct. So you don't put it with food? That's Ghana. For, at least one country is Ghana. Ghana. I did it. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> uh, the right clothes for the occasion. Now, you, uh, Bob, and then later in this month, Miguel and Linda will be here from Guatemala, and they'll tell you whether or not these clothes are acceptable for being in a classroom in, in Guatemala. Are you prepared to pack your bag for that country and not for yourself? Yeah, okay. These are the things that are taught. Uh, by the way, we had very few Japanese walk in off the street to our church in Japan. Why? Why would you think? Any ideas? Don't go unless you're invited. No? Close. Good. Good. Come on, you at least you're awake. Some of these people, I don't know whether eyelids, got eyes printed on their eyelids or not. Because they don't know what clothes to wear and how to act. How do you act when you go in that church? All right? Do you ever think about how to act when you come in here? Let me ask you this again. How many other churches have you ever gone to? One other church. And does that mean that all the other non-movement of arms mean you've never been in any other church? Ten other churches? Ten other churches? More? Okay. So... You realize that each church has kind of a culture, right? And dress and, you know, okay. These are part of the culture, part of society. The products and materials, objects, material objects created by a culture will be determined much by the environment and the degree of development of the people. And some of the things we say, oh, you just run that through a machine, boom, 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 done in 15 minutes. And they've spent the last month weaving it, Okay. Because I had to go out and get it off the sheep, first of all. <laughs> you know, cut it off the sheep and wind it up here and then put it in here. Okay? That's the value that they have. It's a product created from their society. 
and it's something that's very important to them. Also keep in mind that each culture has its subgroups, women, children, old people, rich and poor, strata such as police, criminal, banker, lawyer. There's all these different levels of society, and they all have certain culturals, and they also have certain languages that they use. This in Japanese is a, means a pickpocket. This is a pickpocket. Don't go making your sign. Hey, uh, you know. Why was that? In the old days, the Japanese had the kimono. And it was across this way. So when you butt against somebody, oh, excuse me. You see that motion? Bump as you end it, put your finger in there and pull out the wallet because it's inside here. So that's the symbol for that. So back on the communication, certain symbols have a meaning. The gospel is a culture of its own. It is not of man, therefore not under man's direction for development. Since it is divine, it can have an expression in any culture. But the gospel must be expressed in a way that will be understood in the culture to which we are preaching. You've heard many times in some places, you don't talk about snow. Because why? I have never seen it. You can't say my sins have been washed away white as snow. You've got to say white as rice. Well, off the, off the product, it's really brown. But yeah, when it's polished and you get ready to eat, you can say, or lamb or something of this nature. So uh, it, you have to take that and move it into it. And that's the reason Jesus came, right? Jesus came because we couldn't understand it until he came and communicated it. And that's what's important. What is the difference between a lecture and a conversation? Hopefully this is a both. But lecture is primarily broadcast. I'm just going to put it out there. Whether you hear it or not, I put it out. That's all it's Radio is that way, right? Turn it on, maybe, maybe not. I mean, that's just a broadcast. Conversation is usually two-way. And there's a sender and a receiver, back and forth. My wife had terrible headaches for months while we were in the first years of Japan. And that was because she was hearing it in Japanese, and then she was going through her head, and she was translating that to English, and then she understood. Then, if it's a conversation, of course, you hear it in Japanese, you translate it in English, you commit the English create the English answer, and then you treat it, put it back in Japanese. Talk about being worn out. But that's communication. Communication. If you're doing with the same language, of course, you, you may have a little cultural complexity just because you live in a different place and so forth. But as long as it's the same culture, it's not too bad. But when the people are involved with two different cultures, the conversation can be lengthy and require much explanation because don't use idioms. Whereas, like, unto, uh, duh, things like this, you can't translate those things. It doesn't have any meaning. The media has importance in communication. The more familiar the media is, the higher the receptivity and retention. So when you're going to give your testimony or you're going to present the gospel, make sure that it is in a media, a means that they can grasp. 
That's really one thing that's so easy about the Japanese and the Chinese language. You write the character up there, you may not ever be... In fact, I was studying in Japan and I went to Taiwan. I couldn't say the words in Taiwan. But I could read them and I understood them because they were the same Chinese language. I could say it in Japanese. They wouldn't understand it. But I could see, oh, I can go... Oh, this is... Oh, okay. This is a city and this is... Oh. I traveled there. They wouldn't come meet me at the first time in the country. They wouldn't come meet me. They said, oh, just go do here, go do that, get on the bus, go here. Thanks a lot. Okay. But what is the media? How is it going to present it? Present it in a... Learn some of the country things so that you can present in their culture. If our lifestyle conflicts with our message, then there will be interference. Interference. As was mentioned many times. If what you have been doing the last few days in their community is different than what you are getting ready to say up here, then static occurs. And they can't hear you. No matter how doctrinally correct, how you've caressed your little message in many ways, it won't be heard. Isn't that true here? Oh, it's here too, I'm sure. Yeah, But you, you're going to really feel it over there. Observe all levels of society. How good are your eyeballs? What can you see? Because out there, they're going to, you're going to see. How does a man talk to a man? How does a woman talk to a man? In Japanese, of course, there's different levels of language. The way you talk up or you talk down to somebody. If you're the boss, you can talk down to everybody and act like the dog. You're the dog and you use dog language. That's the reason they change cards. They look at it and says, oh, he's four levels higher than I am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Different attitude. Different language. Change right away. How do you talk to a child? How does a child talk to an adult? How about a teacher to a student, old or young? Observe and see how those people do this kind of language. Okay? okay? Customs within their culture settings should be studied with regard to the meanings and the places they have in the society. Watch their customs. Look at their customs. See how it fits in the society that they are, they are in so that you can apply the next level and you can come in so to speak, pass all that interference and really talk to the people. Um, I, want, uh, I, want, I, want, I want to give you one phrase, that I, and I know we have Hispanic folks here, I, and I don't mean that offensively in any way. You feel free to correct me in, in your own personal experience in any of this. I want to give you a phrase that I want you to write down. Because even though you may not understand the, the grammatical uh, structure of the sentence, uh, you need to write one down. You need to be able to say a few things when you get to Guatemala because it shows that you care about their culture. Actually, when you try to speak something, even if you say it wrong, you're saying, I care. I, I, I'm here because I care about your culture. I care about you. I'm interested. And that's what we call godly curiosity. Everybody should have an attitude of godly curiosity. Really, all you need is the first 
is the first phrase. Now, I have the question mark right side up in the beginning. It really should be upside down, but his computer doesn't have uh, the, the accents. Usted ha recibido el regalo de vida eterna. It just means, have you received the gift of eternal life? You're going to want to say that many, many times. Please write it down and we can work on it. Okay? I hope that you, you take some time, go online, do whatever you need to do. Uh, learn how to say, uh, my name is, mi nombre es, uh, um, uh, yo soy americano, norteamericano, I'm a North American. You know, all these things are all going to, just little things, if you can say them, you will win the hearts of people many times over. Usted ha recibido el regalo de vida eterna. Okay. Yeah, when you're when you're not, usted is a, is a formal. When you're not when you're talking to somebody, unless you're talking to a child, if you're talking to a child, you could say tú, tú has recibido. But we don't need to go into all that. Uh, you can all you you can speak to a child using usted. They understand you're a foreigner. But this is this is the the most uh, courteous way. It's not an uppity way, nor is it too familiar. Okay. One time I used, when I got to Brazil and I started learning Portuguese, and I used tu, which is the familiar. The person looked at me, it was, a, it was a woman, and she looked at me like, why are you being so familiar with me? And I had no idea, but I was offending her because I was using the, the, the tu, uh, the familiar conjugation. Okay? So the same thing with a song. If we can learn one little song or even a verse, maybe you have a, a beautiful uh, a praise song that you guys sing in English, and you could translate maybe just the chorus into Spanish. That'd be great, you know. Do whatever you can. Just show that you're trying to learn something about their culture. And language is a great way to do that. You know, we were talking about the, uh, some of the things that you do and, and you don't really think you're offending. You have no idea. If someone says, how, um, how tall are you? And you say, well, how tall is he? Oh, he's about that tall. That's the way you say that's how tall an animal is. If you want to say, how tall is somebody? How tall is your son? My son is this tall. Okay? Not that tall. This tall. If you're calling somebody toward you, you say, come here. How do we say it? We, we, we go like that. Hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. No. In, his, uh, in, in Latin America, you do it like this. This is the courteous way. In Japanese, too. Well, we're the only ones that offend people yeah. then. <laughs> I did this one time. The kids... <laughs> when, somebody asks, when somebody would come to my house and they would say, I'd say, would you like to have dinner with us? They'd say, oh, they would always say, oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I certainly don't want to be a problem. No, 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 come on. No, 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 no. Well, the second time, I'd always leave it alone. But Brazilians, at least, and many other Latinos, will never accept in their culture. I'm not talking about American Latinos. That's a totally different culture. I'm talking about Latinos in America Latina. Uh, they would never accept an invitation to, uh, for you to buy a Coke for them or to come in and have dinner with them unless you ask them three times. When they're leaving your home, you would always accompany them to the gate. If you say goodbye to somebody at, their, at your door and shut the door, they, they're thinking, you don't want me to come back to your house. That really happened to me. That was the first sign that I had that I, would, I, had really, uh, I was coming through a reverse culture shock. My wife and I came back from Brazil after being gone five and a half years. And when we came back, we went to visit some friends in Newport uh, Beach, a beautiful house down on the beach and all that. And as we were leaving their house... Um, they said, uh, Fred Southern, he's actually, the, uh, he's actually the, 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 the director of the television program for uh, uh, Crystal Cathedral. And, and great man. 
And as I was leaving his house, he, he said, good night, Bob. Thanks for coming over. And his wife, good night, Lottie, my wife. And they shut the door. And my wife and I both just looked at each other. And we didn't say anything, but we felt offended. And then we realized, no, no, no. They didn't mean to offend us by shutting the, the door. So we always accompany people. And you can, you'll have opportunities to say goodnight to people. Try to accompany them out to, to wherever they're going and say goodbye. To this day, I can't say goodbye to somebody that leaves my house without going out to the, as they get in their car and they wave goodbye. Um, Work clothes. You know, we try not to use our old dirty work clothes when we go into town. We won't do that because in Latin, in America, Latin America, you just don't do that. I used to work with a guy in Brazil, and he was from Tennessee. And he actually used to take a bath uh, every Friday night because uh, that was when he, he was, uh, he'd finished slopping the hogs, and, you know, he was ready to do that. He just, it was just his culture. He was a neat guy. And uh, when he was in Brazil, he would go out. He'd, go to, he'd be working all day. He's great, love, love to work. He'd be working in construction or something. He'd get in his overalls, and he'd go into town. One time, a cop ca- uh, stopped him because he was going a little too fast, and he got, a, <laughs> he got out of his car, and he had these old dirty overalls on. And the policeman said, what are you doing? People in Brazil don't walk around with dirty overalls on. It's just not cultural. And he goes, oh, I got these on sale at, uh, at this particular store. And he, he made a big joke out of it, so they let him go. But uh, there are certain things that we just don't do. One thing uh, you don't do in, in, America, in Latin America is the OKO sign, okay? That's a dirty sign, okay? We don't need to go into that, but you just don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> in some places, you don't pick up a hamburger with your hands. So we'll go over some of these things. We'll probably be going over these things uh, the, during the nine days that we're uh, on the field. We'll have a lot more time to talk about some of the strange things that we, or questions that we have. This is just the preliminary, okay? This is the theoretical. When you get there, you'll see that a lot of things you really need to know, and you're going to ask questions, and you're going to learn. Um, okay. Now. Just want to go over some things. Uh, we'll, we're only going to have one more class together. We really need five. We're going to have three. That's okay. We've got a lot more time when we get to the field. But um, when you make a friend in Guatemala, and you will, and he's going to maybe in his uh, dialogue with you, he's, he's maybe he's going to say, would you, would you uh, send me your email address? If you don't, you have made a promise that you have broken. It's not something that they take lightly. If we're going to promise something, we better be able to fulfill it. Okay? So don't make promises lightly. And please, don't promise to send money. You say, well, I would do that. Your heart may be tugged in such a way that you feel like you really need to. Please check with us before you do that. Okay? And um, watch out for the promises that you might make. Okay? Personal testimonies. Uh, I know that you guys have worked on your personal testimonies, and that's great. I asked you last week to work on a 30-second testimony because you're going, to be, you're going to be meeting people. The first thing you're probably going to be able to do when you approach the, the issue of what you're doing in Guatemala, you know, you might just go into a, a, a real simple 30-second testimony. And then from there, you ask the big question. Can I ask you a question? Si usted muriera hoy, ¿sabe con seguridad? Where's the other one? Where's the other one? What happened to my first question? It changed on me. The first question. 
Usted ha recibido el regalo de la vida eterna. The, actually, the second question is one that we would always ask, ask in English. If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Si usted muriera hoy, sabe con seguridad, ¿dónde usted pasaría la eternidad? You know, you can say in English, we'll have interpreters. But that's the question. That follows your testimony. You've got to be able to give that 30-second testimony. And if you have more time, you can give a three- or four-minute testimony. But um, I would say in my 30-second testimony, when I was a soldier and I had military orders to go to the war in Vietnam because I was an American soldier, I realized that if I were to die, I really didn't know where I might sp spend eternity. And I knew that my life wasn't pleasing to God. Well, my sister had just had a wonderful experience with God. And she, be, she told me that she was praying for me. And I got a, I got a, I got a vacation from the military, 20 days of furlough, vacation. And I went straight to her house, and I went to church with her that night. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. And when he did, I knew that he had forgiven me of my sins. And I knew that my life was going to be different. And from that day until now... I've had peace with God. That's a 30-second testimony, and it says it all. You can expand on, expound on that, but you've got to be able to tell basically what happened to you personally. And if you have three or four minutes, you can say a couple of things that motivated you or led you to that place where you had to, maybe it was a crisis in your life, and you accepted Christ. You're not going to say, well, I accepted Christ, because you're really not going to understand that, but you're going to say, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I asked Him to be my friend and to come into my life and forgive my sins. Always try to say it in plain English, okay? And I know that we have our, way, our Christianity, our Christian, Christianese uh, that we use, and we don't realize that people who don't speak Christianese really don't understand half the things we say when we're talking about Jesus. We use our phrases, you know. Um, uh, an exaggerated one would be, my feet were locked in the miry clay. You know, of course, we don't say that. But there are things similar that we use phraseology, Christianity. And people don't really understand. Sometimes they don't understand what, it, what, you, what you mean when you say, you know, I, uh, my, I was lost and, and, and now I'm found. They really, where, where were you lost? Uh, uh, what do you mean you were lost? So some of the things we have to really spell out. Okay, um, so as, we're, as we're, we're, we're working on our testimony, make sure that we're not doing some of those things. Uh, just got a real quick list. Don't use, don't use words like tithing or giving my testimony or um, the scriptures mean a lot to me. Things like that, you know, try to break them down into everyday language. Don't use uh, the religious phraseology, Jesus saved me and my soul was lost and things like that. Be brief when you speak and speak with conviction. Be brief. Okay, wait for your interpreter. When your interpreter is speaking on your behalf, don't look at your interpreter. You said something. You said it in English, okay? And as he's saying it in Spanish, you look at the person he's saying it to because you're still saying it. He's not saying it. You're saying it. And so don't take your eyes off the people that you're addressing. Okay, if you quote a scripture, you don't need to say this is John 3.16 or 1 John 5.13. They don't know, most people don't even understand what a scriptural reference means. Or if you told them how they could find it in the Bible. It's unnecessary and it distracts them from what you're really saying about the scripture. Okay? Um, try to use the name of the person as often as you can when you're talking to somebody. And of course that goes with any culture. Don't give too much information. 
You know, we take for granted that people are going to understand our references to certain cultural things that people really don't understand unless they're North American or unless they're European or whatever. But many times the things that we take for granted that people would understand, they don't. They don't understand that in our, in our family, sometimes we have three or four cars. They don't understand that we have uh, huge houses sometimes or that we, um, we, 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 we go to a university where uh, our parents had to pay $50,000. They don't understand those things. Most of the people that we're going to be talking with earn $2 a day or less. That's 33% of Guatemalans earn $2 a day or less. Two-thirds of the people, however, have, I mean, one, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, a very small percentage have two-thirds of the riches of the country. And so when we say that we have certain things in our testimony or in reference to uh, things, they think, well, you must be like the people that are oppressing my people, the rich people of Guatemala. And so we need to be careful with those things that we say. Uh, well, anyway, let's move on from, from, from the cultural things. I don't want you to be afraid I don't want you to be afraid to say something, to do something. People are not, you know, they don't have all their feelings on their, their shirt sleeves. They're not, they're not waiting to get offended. And for the most part, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt because they know, somehow, I don't know how, they know you're a foreigner, okay? And uh, so they, they're going to cut you some slack. But I do want you to try to be conscientious and of the things you say and do, okay? And if you have doubt, ask. Everybody, there are going to be many people with us that can, can tell you, okay? Um, uh, last week I'd asked, I, I told you that I was going to give you, uh, I was going to ask you to, to give your testimony in 30 seconds. I really want you to write that out, okay, and, and be able to do that. In, I want you to write out a 30-second testimony, and I want you to write out a five-minute testimony. If you haven't done that already, please do that, and uh, we, you might even be able to get somebody to help you translate a little bit of that. But I also want you to memorize this question. ¿Usted ha recibido el regalo de vida eterna? Okay, everybody repeat with me. Usted ha recibido el regalo de vida eterna. You know, Spanish, is, uh, it has the question mark before the sentence, and you know it's going to be a question. I don't know why English doesn't do that. <laughs> you, you, we like to say, well, you know, Greek, is, uh, very, uh, Greek and Hebrew are very, very uh, they're more faithful than English. Well, Spanish is sometimes more faithful than English. Okay, so um, would anybody like to try that on your own? Okay, you can. Okay, okay, I would have understood that. I would have known you were gringo, but I would have understood that. Okay. You know, they, they, they're gonna, they're, most, most people will, will say you're a gringo when you get to Guatemala. When I, uh, I went to Africa, I went with some African Americans, and uh, they, they identified them as white people. And not because they were light-skinned. Some of them were uh, as dark as the Africans, but because your culture they will consider you a gringo, not because of the color of your skin, but because of your culture. Okay? Um, team covenant. Okay, we had uh, talked about the team covenant. It has, if you haven't received this, uh, these four pages, I, wanna, uh, I want Alan to give those to whomever hasn't received them yet. Uh, the first four, or each one has four pages, please. Oh, man. Alan stole all my time. Alan, next week... You get about 15 minutes. Okay. Anyway, what I want you to do real quick, guys, is this is, this is uh, written by Dr. Sessi. Yes. Okay. This is written by Dr. Sessi. It is, it, they are prayers from uh, the book of uh, Thessalonians and, uh, and, and different, different uh, uh, books there. 
And I want you to, as an assignment this week, or before we meet together again, I want you to take the, uh, the prayers on these four pages. And I want you to meditate on them. Okay, what does that mean? As you read them, you pray about them, and you listen. And God may speak to you about one verse or another. Maybe he'll impress something on you that you feel that God really wants, he expects of you as a teammate. Then I want you to write that down. By the time you get done with these four pages, you should have at least a paragraph of the things that you believe that God expects of you on this team. And that's going to be your team covenant. And then you're going to type it out and you're going to sign it. And I'm going to ask some of you to read your your team covenants. That doesn't mean you're going to make everybody else do what God has told you. It means that this is what I covenant with my team to do while I am on this team. And it might be to be your servant, uh, to pray for you, whatever God tells you as you read this. I want you to get a word from God that He expects of you while you're on this team and hopefully when you get back that you will behave yourself, uh, you will live in such a way that you are fulfilling the things that God has told you through these scriptures. Okay, that's your team covenant. That is something we're going to go over real quick when we get back. Everything's going to be real quick uh, because we're going to have Miguel and Linda Toledo from Guatemala. They're going to be here on the 30th when we come back. Okay, and so my time and Alan's time is going to be greatly reduced. Greatly reduced. Okay. I know. My goodness. Okay. Uh, You know, I just like, you know, real quick. We think, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I'm up to this. I don't know. If, uh, this, is no, this is no game, but God is going to use you. And I, wanna, I want you to know that the greatest missionaries in, in history have been basically people like you and me, or much more simple in, in certain ways. I don't know if you've ever been to the uh, U.S. Center for World, World Missions in, in, uh, uh, in Los Angeles, but there's a building there on, on the campus uh, called Gladys Allward. Anybody know who Gladys Allward is? She's one of the greatest missionaries in the world. She went to China during, the, during the, uh, the, uh, one of the wars with China and Japan in the 30s. Everybody said, you can't. You flunked out of Bible school. You can't go there. What are you going to do there? You're a cleaning lady. She went there and she turned that nation upside down. William Carey, he was a cobbler. And everybody said, from in England, they said, if God wants to save the heathen, he doesn't need you. Who are you? You're nothing. You're not, even, you're not even half the theologian that any of us are. And then we go to Hudson Taylor. Now, he was a doctor. But Hudson Taylor had a criteria. When he came back from China the first time, he formed his team. And his criteria to be a team member had nothing or had very little to, be, to do with being a theologian. It had everything to do with characteristics or character. If you ever get a chance to read uh, some of Hudson Taylor's books, uh, you'll, especially his biography, you'll, you'll find that to be on his team meant that you had, to be, you had to be a humble servant of Christ. And really that's the thing that's going to make the, the most out of our trip as we go um, back to, as we go to Colombia, uh, Guatemala. I hope you were able to, to look at this uh, uh, gospel track. I don't have time to go over it right now, but uh, the one we, we use is just so, is just so simple. Uh, I, the simpler, the better. The, be- the easiest thing in the world is to share the gospel with somebody. You know, after you've, after you've, you've, you've uh, basically given a, a short testimony, uh, you've asked them where they're going to spend eternity. You know, do you have a Bible? Can I, 
You, do you realize, do you understand why the Bible was written? Can I tell you why I think the Bible was written? The Bible was written so that you can believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and believe that you can have eternal life in his name. You know what the greatest problem man has? It's sin. For the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. You know what the greatest, the greatest gift? The gift of God is eternal life. You know what the greatest love? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It's so easy, isn't it? And we can make it part of who we are and our experience and why we're there. And they need to hear that. And that's why God is sending you. So I hope that you're able to take some kind of gospel track and make it your own. You're going to have a chance to use it. Okay? God bless you guys. And uh, we are done. I do want to pray before we finish. We didn't last time. And uh, I, we can go ahead and turn this over to, to uh, uh, Andrew. And then we will pray and we will be dismissed. No, you can, well, you can pray now. Okay. All right. All right. Father, in Jesus' name. We're so grateful for every person here and what you're doing in their lives. We're so grateful that you're allowing us to, to go to Guatemala and be a light. And remember that a light, a light can't be set under a basket. It's got to be set on a hill. We ask that, you, that you'd let us shine, Lord. We ask that you give us relationships with the people that are there, the, the pastors, their wives, their, uh, their, their, their church members. We ask that you would make us a blessing also to the people that have never heard the gospel or the Indian folks or the Latinos that are out in the villages that, that don't, maybe have, ne- have rarely seen a gringo. We ask that you do, use us in great ways that we don't even expect in Jesus' name. And also we pray that you'll supply every need by faith that, that each one here needs. In Jesus' name, amen. On January 1st, can't get that one wrong, right? Say goodbye to all your relatives and have, have, after the, the, the get-togethers on, on the night before. And uh, we're going to meet. We, I think we need to meet here, aren't we, at 5 o'clock? Because we've got to be yeah. at, all I know is we've got to be at LAX by 11 o'clock. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And that will give us a little time. We can stop on the way down and, you know, stretch our feet and stuff. Um, so we, we're going to be leaving at 1.30 in the morning. So technically, it's January 2nd that we're leaving. But we will arrive in Guatemala in the morning of, uh, of uh, January 2nd. Okay, we might be tired, but hope you can sleep a little bit on the plane, you know. Uh, some people can sleep anywhere. Some people can never sleep on the plane, huh? Ah, well, let's see. I've got it written down here, but um, I'll give that to, let's see. We'll be leaving at uh, 1.20. We get there at 6.23 a.m. Now, they are two hours ahead of us, so really that's like, 820. That's like 423 here. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's three hours to, uh, to our first connection. <laughs> I thought that was awfully short. That's three hours to our first connection. And then we're, we're making a, fl- a plane connection. We will uh, we'll take off again at 930, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get there at 1230 in the, in the afternoon. Okay? So that's 1030 here, so we'll actually be in... We'll actually be in, in uh, flight and connection 10 hours, okay? Probably about eight hours in flight. Okay, what was, and we will arrive back here. What? You know, it's uh, I-A-H-G-U-A, wherever that is. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'll find out for you. But um, we'll be leaving uh, on the 10th, which is Saturday. Um, we always have to be ready for the Lord to change our plans, and He already has. We were going to arrive back on Sunday, uh, but uh, we can't do that and, uh, because it would put us back here too late Sunday night, so we're going to have to come back on Saturday. But we are going to be leaving early in the morning, like 7 a.m. Uh, Saturday morning on the 10th. We'll be arriving back here at 1.30 on Saturday afternoon.